What's up, guys, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Here are a couple pieces to check out on the ringer.com before the end of the week. First up is Kevin O'Connor, who's writing about how the Denver Nuggets build a contender in a Warriors world. Then Chris Ryan and Justin Barrier have a rational conversation about Anthony Davis and the trade deadline. And finally, Robert Mays has 10 observations from the first Patriots-Rams Super Bowl. Once again, you can check those articles out and tons more on TheRinger.com. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the Corner 3. I'm Kevin O'Connor. Joining us today in Los Angeles, back from his trip to snowy Toronto, it's Ringer associate editor, Danny Chow. The weather's too perfect here. (laughs) I I, I really miss the zero degrees Fahrenheit snow. It was just beautiful out there. I didn't have to deal with any of like the trudgeries of, of shoveling snow or driving in it or really dealing with any of it. All I needed to do was bask in it. It was great. So this is your first time in snow, right? Absolutely. First time in like real snow, real, real snow. And that's the voice of Ringer staff writer, Jonathan Charks. What's going on, John? I mean, we get snow like once every few years in Dallas. We aren't quite as soft as ULA people, I guess. (laughs) I'm glad you acknowledged that, Danny, because there's a difference between like experiencing the snow and feeling the cold and like having to shovel and having to like go to work. Yeah. You know, and like you have to walk to work, you're sweating because the snow and, and everything, it's Wearing a heavy winter jacket. Okay. All the little things like that. But I will say that Toronto is like a pedestrian city. People walk. Mm. So if it's zero degrees Fahrenheit outside, they just kind of bear it. You know, know, you put on your jacket and you go and walk. That's what I did. Zero. Wait, you say zero degrees Fahrenheit? Yeah, Yeah. zero degrees Fahrenheit. How did the layers work for you? The layers are great. What are we doing? (laughs) Yeah, I, I just I mean, zoned yeah, out it, it on, on like, the layers. Yeah, like I feel like half. Yeah, I feel like half of the country knows exactly what we're dealing with, and I feel like I'm giving a guide to half the country. This is like, first off, Danny, yeah, we're this, worldwide. Not, Forget yeah, just the country. Yeah, yeah. We've got fans everywhere. <laughs> in the corner three. Uh, today's podcast is produced by Isaac Lee. Yeah, it's good to be back. I guess there, there's also a basketball team in Toronto, right? Oh, Danny? Absolutely. Yeah, and. Who, who uh, I think they're called the Raptors. And they might be called the Huskies. And you're wearing a, a Vince Carter shirt right now. Wearing NBA All Star yep. 2000. It's a Raptor, long lost legend Vince Carter's 42nd birthday on Saturday. So 42nd, dang. Yeah, yeah. Still in the league. 21st season. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Unreal. And those Raptors right now seems like the hype has died down a little bit. There's been focus turned to Philly, getting Jimmy Butler and Boston having, you know, having their, their roller coaster and season. Yep. And Toronto, meanwhile, they are steady as ever. Despite Kawhi still sitting out the last four games, they're 36 and 14, outscoring teams by five points per 100 positions a season. That's despite having injuries. Jonas Valanciunas out, OG and Obi missing time, Kawhi resting. This team, to me, when you look ahead to the playoffs, still arguably is the favorite right now over Milwaukee, hmm. over Boston. I think so. I think one of the things that you're looking at with this team is that you just haven't seen them put their ideal or what at least what we would consider their ideal lineups out on the floor yet. And so we're still kind of waiting on that. And that kind of gives them at least something of of an edge. It's, it's something that the Cavs would do under Tyron Lue. They would always wait and see let their matchups dictate whatever they were going to be serving up. Well, that's the nice thing about this team with their amount of depth. I, uh, when OG comes back, when Kawhi comes back, and Valanciunas as well, they have maybe 11 guys 
deserving of minutes. Like right now, they've been experimenting with Greg Monroe, and that experiment will be over soon. Sure. Um, as soon as Valanciunas returns, he has not been good. I, I would argue Chris Boucher should be playing over him. Although I will say that that dude can throw a pocket pass. If there's yeah. one NBA skill that will never leave him, he can. My God, he can for Greg sure. Monroe. Yeah. <laughs> but Charks, you know, you talk a lot about lineups. I think with this team projecting ahead, they have the ability to take on different shapes, different forms when they're fully healthy. Well, they have for a while, but like we were saying, well, the Cavs always did that in Toronto, Lou, but they still actually did it. We'll see what Nick Nurse does in the playoffs, right? Like right. maybe he's saving the playoffs, maybe just not using them. I don't know. One of the guys that struggled this year is CJ Miles. When this team is fully healthy, though, I'd continue to play him. Their bench hasn't scored well. That's right. the one problem that they've had. The bench has not scored. And CJ Miles is one of the reasons why he's struggling this season. Well, but he's had a resurgence over the past four games. He, he has. Um, and this is something that's very inside Toronto and something that I've kind of like felt very intimately. Are you guys aware of the GoDaddy curse? I've heard no. of this. Yeah, I've heard okay. of this. <laughs> so in Toronto, GoDaddy has a very specific commercial that they use one Raptors representative every season. I think it's now in its third year. And so it first started with Jonas Valanciunas, then went to Norm Powell, <laughs> then went to CJ Miles. Oh, it's a poison chalice. Yeah. Wow. So every year, the person yeah. who ends up with this commercial ends up having a horrific start to the season. CJ Miles shooting only 31% from yeah. three, 33% total from the floor. <laughs> but ever since I landed in Toronto, CJ Miles has been killing it from three. I'm not actually taking credit here. I'm actually Always giving credit. credit Danny. I'm giving credit to Danny Green, actually. One game, he actually wore the GoDaddy promotion, which was CJ's PJs. So it was literally like <laughs> CJ's Raptors jersey, but made in pajama form. And he wore that to the game. And that broke the curse. Now I'm sounding like a real crazy Raptors fan, but like you that's like <laughs> that's 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 basically it, it, what it is. Is this like in the movie It Follows, where like he, <laughs> he took the curse from CJ Miles? I, I will glad that will be what I bear. Yeah, sure, it's possible. But I, you know, I think with this team moving forward, they have a lot of guys that they can play, and somebody's going to lose out on minutes. And in the playoffs, that can be a benefit though. When you have choices, when you can play different styles, who is their second best player? I mean, doesn't it have to be Kyle Lowry? It's like, Lowry, if you look right? At, if you look at their numbers, they're really kind of falling apart when he's not in. He's yeah. been their best playmaker all season. And that's what makes me wonder about this team is like they really depend on Lowry a lot in the playoffs and his tracker isn't that good. And the reason why I ask that is because you look at his raw numbers, 14 points, 32% from three. You could gloss over that and think, oh, Lowry's having a down year. 9.6 really assists, Bingo, though, exactly. Know? And that's the big difference. His playmaking is on an even higher level this season. I it's think never yeah. been better. It's absolutely never been better. He's really kind of settled into that role. And it, it's a role that he's kind of prepared himself for over the past two seasons, allowing himself to take a step back, allowing DeMar DeRozan to take much greater leaps forward as a primary playmaker. Maybe it's one way of self-preservation. Maybe not. Maybe it's just age. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that Kawhi being like this more complete package than DeRozan allows Lowry to flourish in the playoffs for once, you know? But say so you say that, but I feel like Kawhi's lack of assists kind of worries me. Right. Like Kawhi's your primary scorer. I want him to create shots for other people too, especially in the end of the game situation. Right now, you know, Siakam has really been that second playmaker. We'll talk about him a little bit more when we talk about All-Star Reserves in the next section, but his progress this year has been incredible. But I think, to your point, Charks, in the playoffs, when Kawhi's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more often, 
I'm not sure he's made quite the leap as a playmaker as I would have hoped for right. the season. Everything else is back at an elite level, to be fair. The tunnel vision, man. Yeah. It, 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 can, get, it can get yeah. a little concerning at times, and yet he's one of those weird, hyper-efficient, no-no-yes kind of guys where he's just bullying dudes down low, and he's just so strong, and he'll get those and-ones out of nowhere, and you're like, oh, that wasn't really pretty, but I guess. Yeah, Kawhi, I mean, he's not LeBron. But the way he uses his body and his yeah. size and his, his length, length, yeah, yeah. Um, he just bullies dudes. But I, I feel like if we're talking championships, right, he's, is he going to bully Giannis? Is he going to bully KD? Like, he's going to have to beat those guys to win a championship. And to me, will he be well-rounded enough? I feel like that's why they're, they're being fine without him because he's not helping any of get better. He's just scoring a lot. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm interested in because that one game he had, or that three-fourths of a game he had against the Warriors was just like, it was so tantalizing to see him just completely dismantle the best team in the NBA. And I want to see if he can do that against the East elite. Because on the East, it's not deep, but the elites are, are there. I mean, he might have to be Jimmy Butler, Giannis, and like all the Celtics wings in three yep. straight series. Yep. Who knows? That brings us to the NBA watch of the night. There will be a challenge tonight for Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors against the Houston Rockets. They play at 8 p.m. on ESPN. John, what are you looking for in tonight's game? I think to me for Toronto, it's like I want to see how they defend James Harden in the pick and roll. Because how they defend that, it's how they defend Kyrie Irving or Steph Curry too. Right? How will Serge do in space? Will they blitz it? Will they just switch it? I think to me that is like the big question about them. One of the big questions about them going forward. And remember, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com, Amazon, or your local cable or satellite provider. Danny, you had a thought about this matchup tonight. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of an interesting case study, these two teams, and in, in how you kind of fine-tune a championship contender over the course of a season. So last year, I feel like the Rockets kind of showed their hand the very first game of the season. Like, against the Warriors, they beat the Warriors playing basically P.J. Tucker at the five. And look, you're, you're basically going to die because... You have Harden and Chris Paul who are way better in isolation than you are. And they just kind of fine-tuned that over the course of a season. Didn't really change their game plan much because, look, what can you really do when you're, you're that well-rounded and you're basically playing five out? Whereas with the Raptors, it's like Nick Nurse is really giving a lot of different players a lot of different opportunities to show what they can do. We still haven't really seen what I call the T-800 lineup, where you have Kawhi, Pascal, and OG out there at the same time defending. You haven't really seen them at their best. And when I was there, I saw Pascal Siakam game-winning layup against the Suns. I saw Pascal. The Suns weren't really expecting it. And to be honest, like that's kind of the way that the Raptors have been working. They've just kind of been going with the hot hand and going with what's been working in the flow of the game. And I'm curious to see how that changes during the playoffs. I think to your point with Toronto, I mean, right now they have the second best record in the NBA. I believe they have the fourth best net rating, I think, right now. Yeah. The, uh, the fifth tied with the Nuggets, outscoring teams by five points per 100 possessions. It feels like there's more to this team. Right. There's more to them that we haven't seen. Whereas Houston last season, as spectacular as they were all year, and it went seven games in the playoffs. It's not like it didn't work. They went deep. Had they won that game seven, they would have won the NBA Finals. Toronto can evolve. And like we said at the top, they can shapeshift. 
and play different yeah. styles. And that that's what they do with Valanchunas and Ibaka. With certain matchups they start Valanchunas, certain ones they start Ibaka. They can play small with the Siakam, OG, Kawhi front court if they want to. And two with Houston, you saw Chris Paul break down at the end of the playoffs. Right. Like they're keeping Kawhi on ice, really. He is really not being pushed very much right now in the regular season in terms of minutes. Yeah, with that, it almost feels as though the Raptors are kind of trolling the league. Like this whole load <laughs> management thing, it's like, it's interesting. Like obviously they want to conserve him, but at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if they were trolling because Nick Nurse is a character. <laughs> he is, he is a true character, like he can tell some jokes in locker room scrums and stuff like that. So I enjoy Nick Nurse. Yeah. Very entertaining. Pre-game media. He's great. Mm-hmm. One of the more engaging coaches in the league. You were there to write a story, Danny. When is that dropping? That will be dropping on Thursday. And again, I hate doing this. Promising a date before the piece is, <laughs> before the piece is fully written, before yeah. the piece is fully edited. But it will drop sometime next week. Danny, do you want to tease anything from that story coming out next week? Uh, you know, here's a random observation. Pascal Siakam. He can down 64 ounces of orange juice in one sitting. I watched the dude. So 64 I was, ounces? Yeah. So two, two liters. Two liters. I was interviewing Danny Green up in their cafeteria area in their practice facility. And Pascal was just sitting right next to us. And the dude just like tilts his uh, jug of orange juice into his glass so violently. And like, I'm like terrified that it's going to spill all over the place. The orange juice like hits the rim of the glass and just falls in. And I'm just like, you have the softest touch of any man alive. It is like a microcosm of his game. Like it was just hard charging. And then all of a sudden it just drops in all so beautifully. I was in awe. So he just downed two liters in front of me, but it wasn't like as, as a bit. He was just doing it to have like a normal meal or something. Yeah, no, he was just enjoying it with his normal meal. He had like a plate of like eggs or something like that. And then just like, by the time I was done with my interview, or even before that, it was like halfway through my interview, he had walked away and the jug of orange juice was gone. It was like a, like a three-minute interview released <laughs> in the 90 like, seconds. <laughs> is that healthy? Like, I'm not a nutrition person, but I that cannot know. be that healthy. Does he also spin while he eats like he does on the court? Oh, no, but the, no, the no. orange juice spins. Yes, yes. Yeah, it, or spun, sorry. What am I, an editor? <laughs> <laughs> You're a great editor, Danny. <laughs> Moving on, let's talk about some all-star reserves. All-star starters were announced yesterday. LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo will serve as captains after receiving the most votes in their respective conferences. On February 7th, those two are going to draft players live on television from the remaining pool of players. And those guys are from the East, Joel Embiid, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, and from the West, Steph Curry, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Paul George. The reserves are going to be voted on by the coaches, and that's what we'll be discussing today. Let's start in the West. Which guys do we consider locks, John? I did a piece yesterday talking about that. And I, I had it in the West as Jokic, Davis, Gobert, and Lillard. They seem pretty safe to make it, I think. You agree with that, Danny? I think so. Yeah. We're all on the same page. It's, it's kind of hard to leave two MVP candidates off the All-Star team, yeah. you know? I, I mean, right now, like across the league, there's maybe 10 guys deserving of top five MVP votes right now. I think Giannis, LeBron, or Harden win it. But in those last two slots, like a lot of guys... Right. Going to there. Um, who's the next guy on your list that you would consider a lock? Maybe a personal list. Is there one guy that's can work himself to be a lock? Because hmm. Carl Anthony Towns sticks out to me. The tier he has been on, averaging 26 points per game this month with great efficiency. He's been much better defensively as well. Ever since the Jimmy Butler trade, he's been really good defensively, but his offense has really elevated the last month and a half or two months. I think he's not quite a lock, but he's close. I think 
despite Russell Westbrook's just horrid shooting, the overall success of the Thunder and the value he gives to them despite his shooting woes, despite him kind of playing through that, it's undeniable. I, I think he's a lock. I mean, he's still going to triple-double, right? Yeah, man. I mean, triple-doubles are all that matter. <laughs> it's all that matters to him. Yeah. Well, he's playing better defense, which I appreciate. Yeah. Like, If you're going to miss every shot you take, you probably should play better on defense. So I appreciate that much. One of the difficulties in the West with how deep it is is the fact that you have only two guard spots, three front court spots, and then two wild card spots. And we already occupied all those front court spots right now. And Westbrook, I agree that he's deserving of one spot, but that means at your last wild card spot or your last guard spot, depending on where you put him, somebody's getting screwed here, whether it's, you know, Jamal Murray or if you're putting Drew Holiday or if you're putting Westbrook in the guard spot. If you're not, then it's a front court player like Danilo Gallinari or Tobias Harris or LaMarcus Aldridge or DeMar DeRozan right, yeah. or Luka Doncic. Charks, between those Clippers guys, if there's one of those two that's deserving of being the game, who do you think gets the edge and why? Okay, so I was thinking it was Tobias Harris, but Isaac has actually convinced me it's Gallinari. And I got to watch the Clippers play the Mavs the other night for the great return of Dennis Smith Jr. And to me, without Gallo in there, the ball didn't move very well. Like, it was obvious to me, like, Tobias can score better, but Gallo's a better playmaker. And also, he's played some five this year. I feel like Gallo really is the piece that makes everybody else around him better. So I think I would give it to him over Tobias. Should he make the team? Uh, the Clippers are kind of falling off pretty hard. I feel like they've got to at least stabilize in the top eight for him to make the team. Because he's missed some games, too. Yeah, especially considering both Tobias and Gallo don't really have the the name brand recognition. I think they have a much higher bar to clear over the next however many games to actually merit that kind of consideration. Just from our conversation, do we all agree Holiday, Towns, and Westbrook get those last three spots? Or is there any disagreement there? Uh, uh, I'd put I'd put DeRozan in there. I think he's been very underrated. Over, over who, though? I hate to do it, but I love Holiday, but the Pelicans just haven't been very good. I don't know that's yeah. his fault. But to me, DeRozan changing his game to replace DeJounte Murray has just been like incredible. He's like a legit point forward now. I think he's really got the Spurs as a somewhat legit team. Here's my thing, though. How much should team success really factor in? Because with DeRozan, the Spurs have one of the best benches in the league. Whereas with the Pelicans, when AD, we've talked about this before, when AD and Holiday are on the floor, they are like a 60-win team. When you pull one of them off, they become like a 60-loss team. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like that's no fault of Drew Holiday. Yeah, but he individually has been tremendous defensively, as always, have, defending yeah, multiple absolutely. positions, and he's been kicking ass on offense as well. But, I, I, I mean, have the a hard team, time like not putting him there. Yeah, the team, like if you look at net rating solely on off court, mm-hmm. I mean, the team falls apart more with Drew yes, off the floor than, exactly. than AD. I would say I would take Drew over Westbrook. I think if that was okay. if it was really come down to it. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing where like I don't really know how to calibrate the whole. Do you reward a team for being extremely good during the season? And then about those guys who are on the fringe, do you reward their individual numbers more than team success? It's all pretty convoluted. I feel like I'm leaning more towards, as I get older, like rewarding team success. I get why coaches do it because it's so hard to convince players to accept smaller roles. So like if you're going to be a small role on a better team, you don't have the stats to back that up. Let's give them that little bit of candy. Like, hey, man, you can be an all-star. It's hard to get guys to play smaller roles. What's the case for Luka Doncic, Sharks? I mean, Luka's been incredible, obviously. But as a Mavs fan, I'm going to try to put him in right now. For as great as he's been. Like, to me, the guy... Yeah, I mean, for (laughs) one, yeah, let's not build him up too much. Two, the guy who's been trying winning for them is J.J. Barea. When Barea went down, the team immediately plummeted. Like, Luka is great. Love Luka. 
But I'm not sure he raises guys' games right now as a rookie, which he probably shouldn't anyways. All these names that we're mentioning, Aldridge, DeRozan, Gallinari, these are guys who probably unquestionably would be on the back end of an Eastern Conference. <laughs> Absolutely. Roster. Yeah. Um, but right now with conferences, it's still 12 each in each conference. I'd like for that to change. Uh, but Kevin, that's never going to change though, right? Why though? Why would the Eastern players give up their all-star spots? Do they even have a choice? I mean, how is this thing going to happen? It's not done unilaterally. Yeah, and plus, like, the brand recognition of being an all-star reflects well on the Eastern Conference teams. They wouldn't want to lose out on that as well. Well, it's the same reason they'll never change the playoff structure either. Like, it's just, we gotta live in reality. But this is a real question. Like, is there something in the CBA with all-star rosters being 12-man each where, like, they could argue against that. Well, or, I mean, I'm like, sure that not just the players, not just the teams too. The Eastern Conference teams wouldn't be like, here's four all-star spots we don't want anymore, right? I don't know who decides that, but I am guarantee you it wouldn't just be like, oh, no problem, take our all-star spots. I mean, yeah, sure. But ultimately, if you're putting, I don't know, this is not a knock, but if you're putting Eric Bledsoe in the game over a far more deserving Western Conference all-star like DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge, or one of the other guys with like if Russell Westbrook were to miss the game because a 12th guy needs to make it in the East, that just seems silly to me. Yeah, well, of course. But, you know. Hmm. There's a lot of unfair things in the world, Chaos. I know, yeah. I know there are. Sad. I know there are. <laughs> I just want the 24 best guys in the game. That's all. I mean, in reality, I, I wanted Vince Carter to dunk in the dunk contest in his prime his entire career. I wanted LeBron in there once, you know? Like, we just never got it, you know? It's fine. All-Star Weekend is all about managing expectations. Who are our locks in the East? I mean, Blake has to be there, right? Point Blake has finally been unleashed this season. He's been great. The Pistons haven't been anything. I mean, it, there, there aren't many locks, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Bradley Beal is, is one. Yeah, I, I'd give him to him too. He's been so good with Wall out. Why not? Vooch? Vooch I don't think he's a lock. I mean... He's a lock. Is he a lock? I mean, yeah. Orlando's really fallen off recently. He's slaying. He individually is, I mean, I realize it's like, yeah, they stink, but it's like, he's carrying their offense. But I think that's just, that's just the entire East. You know, there are five good teams in the, or six playoff worthy teams. Giving the Nets in that six teams? Yeah, yeah. Putting them in there. Shout shout out to the above 500 Nets. I believe they've won 18 out of 22 or something like that. 18 out of 23. They're slaying. The Nets have been unbelievable. So, you know, I mean, we have to, we have to get these players from somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of my issue with the situation right now. Which which fringe candidate should be an all-star in the East? Okay, I was curious what y'all think about this. Do y'all think Chris Middleton is going to be an all-star? I think he should be. If the Bucks end up with the best record, I think they definitely have to have more than one all-star representing them. I'd lean Bledsoe. I think he's been more important to the team. Mm, really? Handles more responsibility on offense. I think been better overall defensively at his position. Granted, Middleton has a little bit more versatility. I think Bledsoe's just been better. I'd give him the edge over Middleton. See, to me, I just feel like Middleton's a uniquely valuable player. I'd have to put him in. Elaborate. (laughs) I feel like Middleton's the best second option in the East right now over all the other guys they have out there. Yeah, Charks dropped this take on me yesterday. I was like, ooh, okay. That's pretty hot. (laughs) Wait, the best second option? In the East, yeah. Over Ben Simmons. Over, Well, if if, if your second option should be a good three-point shooter, shouldn't he? (laughs) Right? Uh, like, if you put Ben Simmons yeah. in Milwaukee, he's playing off yeah. Giannis, that'd be very difficult. Put it this way, Middleton's in the conversation, and that says a lot about the East right now. I well, mean, see, no, to me, I think Middleton is like a top 20 player easily. I mean, let me give me some Chris Middleton love. Does that mean you're taking Middleton over, like, Tatum as a second option? Easily. Yeah, yes. easily. Actually, yeah, I okay. would do that too. I mean, for one thing, Middleton, 
Like I was doing, doing my Joe Ingles story. I was looking at six foot eight players who shoot more than five threes a game, get more than four assists, have more than one steal. It's Middleton, Ingles, and LeBron. And to me, like a six foot eight volume shooter who can defend multiple positions, that kind of player is like incredibly valuable in a playoff series. Like he freaking destroyed Boston last year in the playoffs. He was putting up like 25 a night. Yep. And to me, a guy like that is like incredibly valuable because he like puts so much pressure on the defense at the three point line that he opened up space for Giannis to attack the rim. One player who was a lock was Victor Oladipo, who ruptured his left quad. Unfortunately, um, he'll be out for the rest of the season. That's usually a seven or eight month recovery, same injury that Tony Parker had. But now that he's out, who slips in, John? Well, besides my guy, Chris Middleton, right? Yeah, besides him. Yeah. <laughs> so do y'all, would y'all put Miles Turner in as like a Pacers representative? I think that's the move. I think Turner, when I look at my article I put up on Monday, like I didn't have Turner as an all-star. I think I made a mistake. I think Turner's so good defensively. Um, we saw that earlier this week in that Raptors game. Granted, Kawhi wasn't playing, but him on switches against Kyle Lowry, he's been doing that all year against guards. He's not only a great rim protector um, and enforcer, but he's been good on switches overall. Right. And he doesn't do a lot offensively, but he's solid. But you know who else didn't do a lot on offensively and who was a two-time All-Star with the Pacers? Roy Hibbert. And I think Miles Turner is invariably more <laughs> valuable to the Pacers' offense than... Roy Hibbert was back then. He is better than Roy Hibbert. We'll definitely, we can definitely agree on that. <laughs> One guy who we didn't mention who was a lock. Uh, I had him as a starter. I think Ben Simmons should be a lock. Um, I'd put him in the roster for sure. The, the bigger question with Philadelphia is Jimmy Butler. Players gave him the vote. Media did not. Fans did as well. I wonder what coaches will do with Jimmy Butler. What will they decide with all the shenanigans that happened this season? Do you think that matters? Like Minnesota stuff should not be taken into account? It's hard to tell with coaches, right? Like, you, you never really know how they're going to lean. You never really know what they're necessarily prioritizing. I mean, Jimmy Butler is one of the biggest names in the East. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no doubt about that. I don't know how you kind of escape that, you know? Yeah. What I chose was I put Bledsoe and Siakam and Oladipo when he was still in there as the last three guys over him. And it's like, you, I mean, are the East Coasters really going to put <laughs> Pascal Siakam over Jimmy Butler? There's no way. <laughs> I don't there's think so no either. I, I think Butler doesn't make him the team. Well, I wonder, like, if you flipped Butler and Middleton, would that make Philly a better team? Yes. <laughs> yes. How come? Right? I love the versatility. I Basically, Chris Middleton gives the Sixers everything that they've wanted since letting Covington and Sarge go. You're basically getting a guy who is kind of a fusion of the two. A guy who is a reliable defender, but can also put the ball on the floor and create for others. And who shoots threes at a, like a good rate? Like that's invaluable for a team like the Sixers. I think it's possible. Uh, I think Butler's a better isolation player, better shot creator, but Milton's good too. Yeah, and he accepts the smaller role. Like to me, as a coach, like I appreciate a guy being like, you know what, Giannis is the best player. I'm gonna play my position. We're gonna win a bunch of games. Coaches have no, no much power over players. Butler, I don't know what would happen if he played in Milwaukee. He might be like, I'm the best player. Give me the ball, Yana. Spot up on the corner perimeter. I think with <laughs> Butler, I, I don't want to read too much into it during the regular season, but um, his defense has not been great this year. It's been mm-hmm. solid, I mean, as always, but it has not been stellar all-NBA level defense like we've seen from him in the past. And that might be because he's dealing with some injuries. Maybe he's coasting a little bit to preserve energy for a potential deep playoff run with Philly. But his defense has not been quite as good, and we'll see how that changes in the playoffs. They could be better with Middleton. I, I would not argue too much against that. Oh, I guess we should talk about D'Angelo Russell too, right? We got to talk about DR. We got to talk about him. 
I think Russell, <laughs> I, I screwed up. I forgot to copy and paste some names for like the, the end of the list guys like who are also in consideration. Oh, you didn't even mention them? Oh, no, man. There is no respect for It's like, like 4,000 words. I forgot to copy and paste one thing over. There is a strong argument for him. What is it, Sharks? Well, I mean, he's been the primary ball handler on a team that's been freaking incredible last month and a half. Like after Levert went down, they needed time to figure out the rotation. And now Russell's being the man that built around him. Though I'm not sure. Is he an all-star? Like, is he better than Spencer Dinwiddie even? I'm not even sure. I mean, we'll, we'll see in the next however many games. Dinwiddie's out for yep. the next month at least. D'Angelo has the numbers, but I'm not sure he's quite there yet. D'Angelo this season is averaging 17.3 field goal attempts per game, which is interesting because of players to average over 17 shots per game in NBA history, D'Angelo Russell is attempting the least free throws ever mm. at wow. 1.9. That's a good stat, KOC. Ever. Lowest free throw weight of any player to attempt as many shots as he has. He does not get to the basket, does not draw fouls, but yet he's still just slaying this year for Brooklyn. I think that's... Is slaying your new word? You've been saying a lot in this podcast. <laughs> no, no, I, I, yeah, but he, he, he is slaying it, though, 19 three points per game. He's really carried Brooklyn. I think there's an argument for him for that final spot. Yeah, in, I mean, especially the if the Nets, you know, keep going with the way they've been playing. And Russell's going to have to take over a lot more responsibility now that Dinwiddie's out. Dinwiddie closed a lot of those games. We're about to see how much higher Russell can get. And he's, what, 22 right now? It's kind of crazy how young he is. Yeah. This is, what, year four in the league for him at 22? Unreal. Danny, are there any ways to improve the all-star voting process? I mean, I'm as cool with it as I'm ever going to be. Like, my take is that we should have IBM Watson make all the all-star selections. <laughs> Look, I love bad basketball. I love it to death. But, like, I have my limits and the all-star game is kind of my limit. I'm probably not going to watch it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I watched enough basketball in my life. Like, I got to watch <laughs> a lot of college, too. Like, yep. at some point, there's got to be a limit. I don't know. Yeah, that can be a weekend just focusing entirely on college basketball. It's kind of the draft, right? That's, yeah. that's an idea. Yeah. We'll see. It'll be an interesting weekend. Looking ahead to the weekend, though, what's the number one game you're looking forward to, John? I'm really curious to see this Utah-Minnesota home-and-home. Like, Minnesota's right now at 24-24. and 24. They're on the fringe of the playoff race. Utah's been great. If Minnesota wants to make a run, this is the time to do it. And then, of course, there's the Rudy Gobert-Carl Towns matchup, which is fascinating. How about you, Danny? I'm going to take it back to draft class. and let's, let's watch Kansas, Kentucky. There are a bunch of scoutable players in here. I think Keldon Johnson out of Kentucky is probably a lock for a low lottery pick. PJ Washington shown steady improvement, really improved his range, really improved his touch. Kansas has Quinn Grimes, who has actually had a miserable season, but you never really know when he's going to turn it on. Dietrich Lawson has basically been everything that's been advertised. You know, neither Cal or Self have, have really approved of this game. They kind of don't want to go away from league play. They, they have to play this, like, prove-it game for some reason. But let's get it on. Let's get some college basketball in our system. I'm looking forward to Sixers Nuggets on Saturday night. That's what I'm stoked for. That is pretty fun. Yeah. Speaking of the Nemer Nuggets, I wrote a feature story about Nikola Jokic and the Funky Bunch <laughs> on, on the ringer.com this week. I interviewed Nikola Jokic. We're going to play that full interview for you next. Danny, John, thank you guys. Absolutely. Dang, man. Anytime. He wouldn't even talk to me in the preseason. That's what KOC's a legend, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, legit, they were like, he doesn't like media, so you can't talk to him. And I was like, really? 
Wow. I, I thought I went back and read your story charts. I thought you did talk to him for that. I know. I got him in a scrum. Oh. I was like, I'm getting some questions and I don't Jeez. even care. But he wouldn't talk yeah. to him one-on-one. Uh, well, well, Nicola was very engaging. Hope you enjoy the interview, everybody. It's actually my first time in Denver. Uh, first game at time in a Nuggets game last night. That crowd was pretty intense. Is, is it? Is it always that special like it was last night? Actually, like this year, it it's. I mean, I think it's Nick told me that it's like sellouts ever. Ever like we had like sixteen is uh, from uh, like sixteen sellouts. Fifteen now out of the twenty. Fifteen, yeah. See, so the people are coming. So, like the most, most, most of the time, it's like that. So, I mean, I like it, and the, the team like it. So, it's really, it's really nice to play in front of that atmosphere. You said in 2017, you don't know, if, like, if I can be a superstar. But last night, there's MVP chance. You're going to be an All Star, possibly All NBA. Is it still weird or like shocking? I think it's fun. Just it's something new. It's fun. Uh, I don't really think about it that much. To be honest, but it's kind of cool just to, the, like, the whole arena is chanting to you, so it's kind of cool. Do you see that potential now? Like, do you think you can be an MVP someday at this point? I mean, I, I, I didn't know that I can play in the NBA, but everything is possible, so maybe one day. You mentioned not, like, not thinking you'd be in the NBA someday. I know, like, in past interviews, you mentioned, like, playing in EuroLeague. Like, that was a dream, but it seems like one guy that's always believed in you has been Mike Malone. Like, from the start, he's always really empowered you. Like, he, you know, he talked about how you could be an all-star. Now he's talking about, like, Hall of Fame potential. How does that empowerment, how has that empowerment made a difference for you in your career? I mean, he gave me the chance to play the game. He saw something in me. He, he saw, I don't know what he saw. To be honest, <laughs> but he saw something, and uh, he gave me a chance. I used that chance, and now right now we are really good. Uh, like, I like the communication, the the the, the relationship that me and coach have. Um, we are trusting each other, so that's something that like builds through through years. You know, it's not something that just happened. You know, you mentioned the trust. Uh, I think it was some interview you said when you were a kid you used to throw like crazy passes, and now you're throwing those crazy passes at an NBA level, and they're accurate, and they're getting to to their intended receiver. The freedom Malone's provided you obviously helps you now. Do you think when you were a kid, like have it, not having somebody say no, don't throw those, and ended up making a difference now? So even even when I played in my last team, Mega 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 Lex in that time, uh, coach kind of gave me the freedom. Like when I made the mistake, he he saw what I saw, you know. So he he treated me. He didn't just stop me doing my thing, you know. So it's, it's even when I back home in summer, I had a really good passes and my coaches always embraced me to, to continue to do that. So it's something they pushed you to do more of? Uh, they, they just let me go. Let's say like that. They didn't push me. <laughs> was there ever a coach in your past that was like, stop? No, no, never. Right now you are one of three players, six foot 11 or taller to ever average over six assists per game. That's Kevin Garnett, Will Chamberlain, and you. I think you're probably the, the most talented passing center I've ever seen with the potential to be the best if you do it over the course of time. And, you know, obviously you have the highlight reel passes, but yeah, I, I always like wanted to pass the ball. So that's kind of the, the, the thing. Like, you see, I could, I could just finish. I can just shoot from there, you know, so why not? I just wanted to pass the ball. He that's an open man in a corner, and the corner three is the easiest shot in the game. So, and I mean, I always think that a great pass, a great shooter, is always uh, become from the great passer. You know, uh, it's something that 
you make his life easier, you know. He's ready to shoot, just put the ball something that he don't put him off his shot, you know. So I think the passing is really important. Just the easy passing, just uh, like not assist, just pass to the guy. I think the really that's really underrated in NBA because um, just with the easy pass, you can make a le- uh, him have a huge lead in front of his opponent. Right now, right now, look at there, like the even Turner is in the paint right now. So. Where is if that passes to the left or right, there's that extra millisecond of adjustment that he has to bring the ball to his shot pocket. How do you master that though, right? I mean, like with those pinpoint passes, is there some point in your life where you were like, you know, you have a target that you're trying to hit or is it something that just sort of came naturally for you that you just have great hand-eye coordination and it's just always been there? I mean, I, I think I always play uh, pass the right way, like the, how you're supposed to you pass, you know? Probably something in my hands. I don't know what, what, but the ball is always go where I want to go. So <laughs> probably some kind of talent or whatever. But thank everybody, thank God, whatever who gave me the talent. My parents, whatever. <laughs> Does it manifest for you in other areas of your life, like video games or darts? Uh, no, I mean, I'm really good at video games. And I'm, I'm, I like I like to play all kind of bar games, like billiard, uh, pool, whatever, um, darts, whatever. So. Post NBA career, could you go pro in any of those? Uh, no, I'm gonna go horsing probably. <laughs> you said in the past that you have like a you can take a snapshot of what's happening on the floor, and so like you don't need to look back to see your teammates. You know where they're gonna be without having to look. But how do you develop that chemistry with those guys where you can take the snapshot, but like they don't know that you know that they're there? So how does that chemistry develop over time? I, I, they, uh, I know my person. I know my team really good. That's one thing, you know. I know everybody how they want to play, how about their shots, you know. So I think that's one thing. Another thing in the is the, they need to be on their spot. You know, they cannot do something crazy because I'm gonna find them if they if, if he's on his spot. You know, you can see the last game when I passed to Tori. Tori kind of move to the slot and he's supposed to be in the corner and I passed to the coach in the, in the bench. So, you know, so it was a bad pass, but if Tori was in his spot, so that would be a good pass too, you know. And it's not just highlight reels like the last one and the ones that like go viral and all that. It's like fundamental plays, DHOs, pick and rolls. I think I, I, I start doing this first and then the other passes. That's, I think that's just, I, I started that for, for my first year with Gary. Uh, we were really good in backdoor passes. That's just the chemistry. There's a, a two-man game. Uh, by the look in his eyes, I know what he's going to do. You know, and right now I'm, I'm really good with Jamal too. So, you know, that's something they're just clicking in, 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 in the players and they just start playing like one. You mentioned now with Jamal, you guys have that pick-and-roll connection with you handling and him screening. How does something like this develop? It's a, it's kind of unique play. You can see like you never see the small guys rolling, so like, nobody's even helping. So then I, like, what's he's gonna do? You know, so um, it's just something that we and Wall are like we just wanted to get better. You can see the two main game is he sent a screen for me. I'm sending. He's just a give and go, pass and cut. You know, we're just gonna want to get better, and I think we can be really good. Like we can become really unstoppable at some point. You know. Malone said last night, like this play is one of the highest efficiency pick and roll combinations with you handling and him screening. I think you can see like pretty consistently, like regardless of the defense you're facing, there's always like a moment of hesitancy where they don't know whether to switch or, or what to do. Yeah, that, and that right there, even they do that because, uh, 
the, my first my first option is to drive the ball just to drive and, and like but, but you can see they're there all the time there and like when they do the yeah so your first option is actually to drive before yeah, pass first option is just to score because like the big guys doesn't know how to like I doesn't know how to guard a pick and roll but if if I'm handling the ball you know if if the my guy handling the ball so it's kind of just unique play something that you don't see you don't feel you don't you don't practice that you know so it's kind of hard to to play that uh, or defend that so I think it's just a unique play that we involve. Murray said last night that he played a lot of five growing up, then four, then three, then two, then one. Like he just works his way from from the five to one. For you, did you actually play point guard when you were younger, or is it more like he just passed a lot? No, I, I dribbled the ball. I, I like I bring in the ball on the court. So there was the point guard, but I was doing kind of his job too. So it's something that just helped me a lot now. I think it speaks to like the today's position this league, really, where like you're a quote unquote center, but you're you're sort of not. You're the point guard of the team. I mean, you can see right now that like Embiid, uh, Anthony Davis, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, uh, Brooke Lopez, he's shooting three. He's playing as a wing now, so it's kind of like basketball really changed a lot right now. So everybody needs to do everything on the floor. So with Murray. You guys also do this off ball as well, where like he's setting a screen for you here, and you're just defense is totally confused. Like, is this something you see in film ahead of time that you know no, it probably? There's just a that, that that's just a play. He's a great screener. He's a he's a strong guy. Like he's he's a, he's a point guard, but he's really strong for point guard. So I don't know. Did you see his dad? His dad is crazy guy. He's like he's like like little fridge. You're not gonna move him. You know, that's, that's, he's like a better version of him. <laughs> Murray does have kind of that wide body, like yeah. six foot three, but he's wide. Nicole, that's just a play. That's just a play that we have. What do you miss most about not being famous? I'm trying to be not famous. To being not famous for real, like especially when I go home, I just want to be a regular guy. Like I'm doing regular things. Like I think the media, like puts you. In, on that spot, like in the like you're a star, or whatever, or you know. So I just wanna, I just wanna be a regular guy. I miss the, I can go out and just don't take any pictures and don't like bring a lot of people to me, you know. So I, I just wanna be a regular guy. Is it like simple stuff like even just going to like the convenience store to get like a bag of chips or whatever, like just little things like that? There's always eyes looking at you. There's always like, oh look at him, and like, I mean. That's a normal thing for real, but I just wanna, I just wanna be normal guy, you know. So with the billboards and the MVP chance, do you do you have you had yeah, moments? Help a lot, yeah. Doesn't that doesn't help a lot? <laughs> it's a part of the job that we we signed for, so you gotta do what you gotta do. Was there ever with like all the stuff, the billboards, the chance? Is there ever a time where you're like, this is actually happening to me? To me, for real, that's not the really big thing. So, I mean. You just play. Ba- I just play basketball, and that's just what I do. You know, I don't. I don't care for outside stuff. You've obviously come far physically, and like I lost forty pounds in twenty eleven. So like I know that that year, like how good it felt, how much better I felt by the end of it. But I also know about like the sacrifices. Like I, I miss eating mac and cheese. I miss pounding like two boxes of goldfish. Yeah. I miss, I miss little things like that. But it's like you sort of don't because you learn new foods and all that. But is there any one food that, that you wish you could have back that you don't have now? Uh, yeah, I kind of change. I don't eat it like that anymore. I, I can eat everything right now, but I just you need to control it. You can eat every day or every week. You just eat, you can eat, eat one. But something that I miss here, 
that I have back home is a, like a fish stew that is a kind of traditional in my area where I live in back home is Sombor. So I just miss that, miss that. So you went to P3 in Santa Barbara, I think, entering your rookie season. What do they do with you there? Uh, I did. A, uh, I I drafted, then I go there, and then I stay home and uh, one more year in Serbia. But it, I think it's that was a good thing. That's a good center because you can just go there and. And they will do everything for you. You don't need to think about practices. You don't need to, like, especially the guy who can, that wanted to go to draft or wanted to, like, a tryout, whatever. You no, know, just to, that's a really good center because I and a lot of a lot of NBA players going there just to stay in shape during during uh, off off season. So, how, how has improved conditioning helped you on the defensive end of the floor? Uh, a lot, just because you can you can. Uh, you can guard more. You can like be in stance. You can. When my first year, like the not the fatigue, like I was getting tired, and that my brain was like, oh, oh. you know, I I couldn't think. Right now, uh, just like it's 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 easy for it's getting easy for me. You know, I did a really good job last two summers uh, with my body. Of course, uh, Felipe and my first year Steve Hass did a really good job. Uh, and I'm I'm really good like uh, connection and communication with Felipe, and he's always he's always got my back. So, was there a moment for you where you're like, oh, this is working? I can feel this. Yeah, you can, yeah, like if, when you gain one pound body like body body weight, that's like a five pounds on your ankles, on your like on your joints, you know. So it feels better, definitely better, just to be. Uh, lighter you know but to me personally i like to be a little bit heavier but not like heavy heavier just if i can be to be a little bit lighter than a little bit heavier i'm gonna be a little bit heavier who were the guys you were watching on youtube when you were a teenager uh i mean i watched everybody uh michael jordan for magic johnson i liked him duncan i, I love Dirk Nowitzki. i love boris diaw in that moment uh so kind of everybody I, there is one guy novica velitkovic when he was in in, in parties and he was in Real Madrid, so he was a rising star of Euroleague. So and he played a little bit of basketball at the high level. So there is a lot of players that I kind of watch. What did you learn from your brothers basketball wise? <laughs> Not much. The uh, I kind of I'm kind of mixed both of them. So uh, my younger the brother in the middle he was really talented. He's a he was a great shooter. He was like six 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 five six six and he can shoot. He like he will be really good in now basketball. And my older brother, he was um, he was everything except basketball player. He <laughs> he was he was a worker. He was a hard worker. He was really strong. Uh, he was a good roller screener. And he was a really really strong guy. It, it seems like talking to your teammates and hearing Mike Malone talk about you, they all seem to appreciate you as a teammate, but also you've grown as a leader this season. How have you seen yourself grow into this leadership role? Uh, they put me on that spot. I didn't accept it. You seem like you still haven't accepted it. I didn't accept it because I think this is a really good team and that's why we're playing good. You know, I think one guy cannot be a team and one guy cannot do anything without a team. So, you know, the team is everything for me. Malone in the past was critical of, you know, sometimes body language or okay. taking bad fouls. Is that something you did? You've improved that? No, I sometimes I do that for real to piss him off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. But uh, that's something that I'm getting better at. So just not down falls. Yeah, my body language is, is way much better this year than last year. So I'm getting better. You have two young players, and Michael Porter and Jared Vanderbilt, who hasn't who haven't played yet. Have you practiced with them? Like, what do you see them bring to the team once they are able to return to the floor? Uh, 
Of course, uh, they're really good at athletic. Yeah, um, they can bring like the size. Uh, they on they can be something on the defensive end. Wando um, can guard one through five, basically, <laughs> basically. And uh, Michael Porter is is really really like offensively talented guy. You're going to be an all-star this season. You're in the MVP conversation, but you're only 23. You don't turn 24 until next month. What what can you get better at? Uh, I'm still not an all-star, first of all, and then hope, hopefully one day I am going to be. I think you can always improve your game just to get better in every mo- in every aspect of the game. Just like you see, sometimes it's just mentally, sometimes it's just like getting stronger. Just I'm gonna my left hand is gonna be better. So there is a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, things that you can improve. You know, so so it seems like for you it's it's about you you're you're already had a left hand. So it's all about mastering that left hand, getting it at an even higher level where it is now. It's, so it's taking strengths and making them stronger, taking you know average skills and making them good. Yeah. So it's it's little it's steps like that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like a defense, be better in defense. Just like slide your your feet better. So it's kind of something that. You just want to get better and better, but just to, if you can be a, like like one percent better than this season, that's an improve for you. You know, what's your favorite part about Colorado for somebody who's my first time here? Like, what what's the first place to check out? I like the weather to be honest the most because <laughs> I like the fresh air, uh, the you, the mountains. Whenever you go close to mountains, the a lot of bars you can play, pick up basketball, tennis, whatever you want to play, spike ball. That's my that's my new favorite. Yeah, off basketball thing to do. Spike ball? Yeah. What's spike ball? It's like a net, on the, like a little, like a little ball, and you spike the ball in the ground, and there is a net, and just it's like two on two. It's kind of volleyball, but just on a really small area. You mentioned you play video games. What are the games you're playing right now? League of Legends is my my, my game, and I like I stay in connection with my friend back home. Like I grew up, grew up with, and but I just love the game. Like keep me, keep me off the wall, kind of. I'm in the game, so I don't think about anything else. You used to play Call of Duty. Do you still play shooting games now? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of playing whatever, like whatever my, like I, I play Counter Strike with with Bobby Marjanovic, the guy for Clippers, and and Teodosic, you know. So with whatever is like group of people are playing. I'm, I'm, I killed Nick last year. Is that last year or two years ago? <laughs> both, both i kill him in nba 2k so yeah it's kind of a little bit of everything i used to play a lot of video games i know the call of duty modern warfare 2 i logged like i don't know like 32 days like in that game you can see your time played which is embarrassing to admit but i think the one thing i miss most about playing all the time is just like talking trash yeah. do you talk trash playing online uh, games especially when i play against my friends then yes of course yeah that's that i mean when I play them against my brothers, I I play just to talk trash to them. I I don't even like sometimes I stop playing just to talk trash to them. So especially when you play uh, something like against brothers, friends, like whoever. I appreciate you taking the time, Nikola. Of course. Thank you again to Nikola Jokic for taking the time to chat. You can check out my story on TheRinger.com. Thank you again to Danny and John. We're looking forward to next Friday. Thank you, Isaac, for producing the show. And thank you for listening to Corner 3. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Give us a thumb up on YouTube. Tell your friends. Tell your family about the show. You'd make us all super happy if you do that. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next Friday. Have a beautiful weekend, everybody.